Welcome to Set on Sunday, a podcast by Killable Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Set on Sunday. My name's Beck, and I'm hosting the podcast today. And with us today, back from his sick bed, is Nathan. Welcome back. back. I am back. <laughs> you feeling okay today? I'm feeling pretty good. Maybe like 80, 87%. Okay, so we there. can expect 87% worth of good answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's yep. see. Yep. Let's see. 87% and a bit fatigued from a big conference day. So mm-hmm. let's knock it down to 80% just to be safe. Okay. Yep. Well, let's see what happens. And Dave? Hello. Yeah, Hello. It's, it's nice to be here. I had a week off last week and uh, I was going to say, Nathan, you look like 86 and a half yeah. uh, percent, <laughs> not quite the 87, but um, we'll see. It's Let's true. see how you go. It's true. It's true. No excuses from Dave. That's still though. a high Good distinction, like yes. an 87. Yeah. I'd yeah. be pleased with that mark on an essay. Well, let's knock it back. Let's knock it to 77. Knock it back to a distinction. <laughs> All right. Could, could still be worse, but... Mm. All right, well, let's get started. Nathan, you brought the word to us on Sunday. What did you talk about? I did. Uh, Yes, so we're nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, so Matthew 7, verses 13 through 23. And so uh, we end kind of Jesus' teaching uh, on the sermon, uh, and now he's kind of coming to his application and saying, so what are you guys going to do? What are you going to choose? You're going to choose my way or the world's way? And so he gave three, uh, three choices of two. So did you want the narrow road or the wide road? Uh, do you want to listen to false prophets or true prophets? Uh, and then uh, what kind of disciple do you want to be? One who is a disciple uh, verbally only or one in action and relationship? So he's kind of giving us three choices between two different options. And yeah, it's the application point of the sermon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you spoke a lot about false teachers was one mm. of those application yeah. points. So someone's asked a question of clarification. Mm. Apparently you said God's like a genie. Ask for something and you'll get it. Can you please explain that? Because God doesn't always give us everything we want because he knows what's best for us. Yeah. So I was talking about um, talking about how false prophets, how they're not always, like they're not universally positive, but the majority, the theme about Old Testament, false prophets, New Testament, false prophets, and modern day kind of false teachers is that they are almost universally positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the modern day movement is the prosperity gospel. And I said the prosperity gospel uh, kind of tells you to treat God like a genie, you know, then the name it and claim it to say, God, I want a Ferrari in Jesus' name. And then God is like a genie. He just gives it to you on that theology. So that is false mm. theology. So God is not like a genie, um, but that is how he can be betrayed uh, in the yep. worst parts uh, of the prosperity gospel movement. And so, um, which is alive and well, unfortunately, in all parts of the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it wasn't you saying that God's like a genie. No. You were quoting no, no, no. a false yes, teaching. Yes, yes, please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, please don't attribute that teaching to me. Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that off my one-to-one for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't get you a distinction. <laughs> yes, no. Um, all right, next question. Um, you gave the example of the brothers. They were performing miracles in Jesus' name. Mm. But why did the miracles happen in Jesus' name even though they weren't Christians? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't know why God let them have some success in their ministry. I mean, it might have. Yeah, so we're not told. So the short answer is mm. any answer I give is a guess. Um, yeah. Uh, 
perhaps the best guess is that, again, they're acting poorly, but God in his mercy to someone who was demon-possessed decided to use immoral men to cure them. Yeah, mm. that, could be, that could be the answer. And so they're still wrong. Uh, God is still kind. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. But like I said, the text doesn't tell us why their initial, uh, initial attempts are successful. For those mm. that haven't listened to Sunday yet, what are, what are you talking yeah, about? So this is Acts chapter 19. Mm-hmm. So there's some weird stuff going on in Acts chapter 19. Paul's handkerchief is, is it Paul or Peter's handkerchief that's healing people? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's Paul. Paul. Yeah, Paul's handkerchiefs that's healing people. You got um, and then you got the seven sons of Sceva who go around casting out demons until one demon sort of stands up to them and says, "I know Jesus, I know Paul, but I do not know any of you guys." And then he beats them up. Mm. Yeah, seven on one, then they get beaten up. So pretty Oops. strong, pretty strong demon. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, they leave naked and bleeding is their description mm-hmm. at the end of the fight, which is not a good outcome. Mm. Mm. There are other instances, aren't there, where uh, people do miraculous things in Jesus' name but doesn't necessarily equate to uh, true believers, so to speak. Mm. Uh, I can't think of off the top of my head. How much I think in Acts? I mean, there's a guy who tries to buy the Holy Spirit. Yeah, earlier yeah. in no, Acts. Shame yeah. on you. Yep. Um, there's a girl who can make kind of correct prophecies. He follows Paul around and says, this is a yeah. true prophet of God. This is a true prophet of God. And he gets so sick of it and yep. gets rid of the demon. So, yeah, and there's a few interesting – Acts is an interesting book with some stories that are not easy to explain and understand. Yeah. But, mm. no, I, I don't know why those – I can't give you a, a confident answer on, as to why that their initial exorcisms were successful. Yeah, could it also not be the work of other supernatural forces mm. um, like demons maybe? Yeah. Um, that's something that a couple of the commentators I read mm. suggested might have been going on yeah. um, just to try and, I don't know, stir up drama or yeah. <laughs> like make people a bit confused about what was going on. Mm. Um, yeah, what's interesting about that Acts 19 story is when you keep reading, um, it turns out that this incident actually makes people's really start to revere the name of mm, Jesus. Yes. A bunch of these guys then burned all their sorcery equipment and, and put their faith in him. So mm. it's interesting that the demons attacking them actually then turned them to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, really interesting. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the fear of the, the fear of the of Jesus name increases. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the reverence. So mm. God is always working for good yeah. in the strange and the bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's a theme that will come up again in our podcast today, I reckon. Um, All right, so next question. Nathan, you mentioned that false teachers universally say things that are positive and we can tell if they are false by their fruits. However, if we look at our neighbours of other religions, for example, our Muslim and Hindu friends who do live out their faith in good works, how do we reconcile their good works with our view of false teachers bearing bad fruit? Yeah, I think my initial response uh, to that question is, I think when the Bible talks about false prophets, they're talking about people who prophesy in Yahweh's name, mm-hmm. uh, in, in God's name, and lie. And so uh, people of other religions, uh, yeah, I think would be a slightly different category. And so it's people uh, in the New Testament and the Old Testament that are getting up. Uh, so the Old, uh, Old Testament prophets who are kind of telling Ahab to go into battle is in the name, in the name of the Lord, go and fight. And it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're... And, and the same with sort of the prosperity gospel movement now uh, and New Testament uh, teaching about false teachers who will tell you, you know, what you want to hear. Mm. Uh, and uh, in Philippians 1, the teachers that are preaching Christ but to cause Paul trouble. Um, 
yeah, they're, they're, they're preaching in the name of Christ or in the name of Yahweh um, for telling lies. So what we do with other faiths is an interesting one. I was saying there is kind of... There is kind of an optimism to all those works-based religions in that. And the optimism is you can be your own saviour. Mm. It's naively optimistic um, about the human condition. And so even though they don't sound they don't sound as easy as, um, say, the prosperity gospel where you name and claim things, mm. um, but there is a naive optimism. You don't actually you – can, you can save yourself. You can do all the right things. Um, yeah, so I think that there is still, even though it's expressing itself in a different way, there's a, na- a naive optimism to to even those faiths. Mm. Yeah, there's, um, and they, they do, like many Muslims and Hindus are sincere in their faith yeah. uh, and do do good things yeah. uh, that flow out of their beliefs. Uh, but I think we want to say the, their fundamental of what they're putting their faith in, mm. we disagree with mm. uh, and say that they're not, putting their faith in the right thing, mm. even though they might be bearing fruit and they might mm. be good for humanity and they're, they're all good things. Um, but fundamentally you know, their faith is either in Allah, uh, if they're a Muslim or if they're a Hindu, there's over, you know, there's millions of mm. gods uh, that, you know, they believe in and have a, a system that's built around those that, you know, wants to get higher and higher uh, in there. Whereas as Christians we go, well, no, there's, there's only Jesus. Uh, he's, he's the one way. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of where we want to push people towards. Mm. So it's not just the fruit of the prophet which indicates whether they're a false prophet or mm. a true prophet. It's also the content of their message yeah. and whether it preaches yeah. Christ. Yeah, yeah. The and, yeah and Deuteronomy 13 is that case of like um, a prophet that makes a correct prediction and you go, mm. oh, that's, a, that's a true prophet. Uh, and then he calls you to worship other gods, and so yeah, that maybe maybe yeah. that could yeah, be where you put other faiths in. There. Where you go, nice. okay, um, they say some really true and helpful things mm. in some topics, but then they call you to worship Allah, or you call uh, call you to worship one of the many Hindu gods, and you go, oh, some really good things about you, but because you're not calling people to worship uh, the Lord, you are a false prophet. But primarily, we're speaking about people who say things in the name of of yep. God and uh, false, yeah. Yep. Cool. And that's the context of our passage anyway. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Next question. There seem to be a lot of famous preachers and pastors who have turned out to have major sin in their lives or have shipwrecked their faith. However, many people may have been converted or grown in their faith through that ministry. So are they false prophets or has God used that for his good purposes? Yeah, it's... it's, um such a fascinating combo of human sinfulness, uh, God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty in those cases in that the leader has done, has behaved really poorly, um, but God's used it for good and and people have been saved. And so, yeah, I think they're still, even if they bear good fruit, um, they're still a false teacher, unfortunately. And again, the content of their teaching might be fantastic. A mm. lot of guys who end up being false teachers preach you wonderful things that if you only listen to their sermons, you would be blessed, you know. And But if you copied their life, you'd get shipwrecked. Um, mm. uh, and so there's, there's a lot of people like that. And so because they preach good content, good things happen to the people that, that listen to them. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, so they're still, unfortunately, you know, because we're judging uh, true and false teachers by the fruit, their fruit uh, and the fruit of their life, they would still fall into that category even though their content is good. And so that's why I use that Matthew 23 passage of Jesus speaking about the Pharisees and say, do what they say, do what the Pharisees tell you to do. It's good content. 
but do not do what they do because they're false teachers and they don't live out what they preach. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, you can have really good content and have and the people who listen to you be blessed and still be a false teacher. Um, but God and his kindness can use your bad motives or or your closeted bad behaviour that comes out later to give people time to repent under your good teaching. And Yeah, so God is awesome and mm. people are not as awesome, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, so God's <coughs> words can still be true out of the mouth of a false prophet mm. in a sense. So it's God's word that's yeah. doing the transformation yeah. um, despite the fact that mm. the life is not godly. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, and, and the go-to example always is that people have forgiveness of sins because a bunch of Romans murdered Jesus. Yeah. And the, the Romans are not heroes and the Jewish leaders are handing him over are not heroes, but God used it for good. Um yeah, so it's, it's God's sovereignty and God's goodness overriding kind of human evil. Mm. And if you, you take it out of the extreme of people shipwrecking their faith, every week at church a sinner gets up and expounds God's word to you. Mm. Uh, nobody does it out of place of perfection. Uh, everyone gets up. We've all got our own flaws. We've all got our own failings. We are sinful people. Um, but, yeah, God is still producing good fruit. Um, mm. And what we want to do uh, we want to be faithful to God's word. Uh, we want to work hard on our own godliness. Uh, we will fail. Uh, we will fall. Um, but, you know, and yeah, there are some sins that disqualify you out of ministry and, and they're right and true and proper. Um, but every week a sinner gets up and we, we can't forget that. Mm. I think the sad part, and I remember getting, and people questioning me on it after the service is like a lot of leaders that fall went in the ministry with good intentions and so yeah. they didn't want, like when they joined ministry at age 28, they didn't want to have an affair at age 44. Like that wasn't, there wasn't their initial plan. Mm. Um, and so there's kind of that, you feel kind of bad for them that they didn't initially go into it with bad intentions, but they kind of fall out and we call them a false teacher anyway. But um, mm. yeah, and that's that tricky part of your actions do reveal and that's the part, point of the fruit is your actions do reveal your heart. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, for, for good or for ill. Yeah. yeah, and it can be quite heartbreaking if you have been influenced or transformed mm. by the teaching of someone whose life turned out to be ungodly. It can be very unsettling mm. for your own faith, and that's kind of, I think, what the next question is about. Um, so, what if you feel you have been taught by a false teacher? God allowed His church to suffer as a result of this false teacher. Why? Um, it's customary for the main person to throw to um, the other one uh, <laughs> when a hard question comes. So, Dave, lead us, my true teacher. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's down to a distinction, bordering on a pass. Um, yeah, so look, I think, uh, you know, and this will come up in, uh, you know, following um, questions, but... Uh, the, the plumb line for us who listen uh, to God's word, you know, spoken and uh, people who sit under leadership is to have the plumb line of God's word. That, that's sort of what we want to hold ourselves up against. Uh, and again, no leader's perfect. Um, uh, every church will have its flaws and its failings. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you don't want to sit under a, a false teaching. I think, you know... Um, why does it happen? Um, you know, well, we live in a, a broken and sinful world that 
uh, is is marred and sin is in everything we do. All our motives are mixed, uh, and so it's 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 there. It's part of the um, uh, the fallen human condition, uh, and it should in some ways make us long for for heaven where we do sit under the the true and you know great shepherd Jesus mm. um, who will be the ultimate shepherd uh, and you know in the meantime we are his under shepherds as you know 1 Peter 5 talks about um, and so uh, you know God will still use as we've already said um, you know the false teachers to bring about good purposes in it so mm. um, I can't explain the full question the answer mm. for a why they're very yeah. hard questions to uh, to sort of answer. Uh, the what question is sort of much easier. You know, what if you feel like you've been taught by a false teacher? Well, uh, again, get the scriptures out, figure out what does good leadership look like, what does good teaching look like, uh, you know, keep us uh, on the straight and narrow, mm. ask hard questions of us. Uh, that's appropriate um, uh, for us to sort of think about what leadership needs to look like. Yeah, I think Dave's raised like a good tension, like all of the staff team who teaches from the front will sin against people at church because Mm. we're sinners. And so hopefully the sin will always be unintentional and not malicious. Um, But probably, you know, if we're here long enough, we will intentionally sin against someone. And, yeah, so it's working out that distinction of, okay, is he just, is the teacher just a sinner who has flaws uh, or is he a false teacher which is which is the challenging part and that's where you're getting into questions of repentance and the ability mm. to say sorry and mm. and a good question to ask is just yeah like oh, is, if i copied their life would i become more like christ mm. Mm. yeah and that's but again that it's it's hard to tell whereas there are some very clear like if someone commits adultery they're disqualified from ministry yeah. if they're a serial bully or given to anger or given to drunkenness they're disqualified mm. and so you can go they're not fit to teach. Um, but those sins that aren't that uh, are harder. To, they're, they're blurrier lines. And so, yes. So if they've crossed those very clear lines in Scripture 100%, then they're a false teacher. But, yeah, otherwise they might just be a sinner with flaws and character deficiencies um, mm. like the rest of us. Yeah, because mm. yeah, I think we want to distinguish, you know, false teachers in terms of, you know, that that teaching what's not against and true to the mm. gospel mm. Uh, and you know, as opposed to the behaviour that you'd expect to go alongside it that's outlined in the scriptures, you know, in the, some of the pastoral epistles. Mm. Um, and there's there's motivation questions that sit behind this that are complex, you know, the, the questions of what am I in ministry for? Like, yes, you walk in with good intentions. Um, but again, there's motives that are all mixed in there. Uh, you know, am, am I in this for myself? Am I in this for the for God's kingdom? And the answer is a bit of yes, uh, you'd love the purity of, yeah, I'm totally in it for, like, but we're so mixed up, you know, mm. and I think that's just important to to wrestle with in any leadership position in church mm. uh, that has recognition built into it. Uh, you know, we've we got to keep wrestling with the scriptures and what does leadership look like mm. uh, and what do we need to be as leaders of the church. And I think, you know, I think the team take that really quite seriously. Mm. Yeah. I think if this is your question, you might want to sort of, <clears throat> also reorient yourself to who God is because people will disappoint us but God will not disappoint us. Although it sounds in your question you are a little bit disappointed in God for allowing this to happen. Um, and as Dave has said, he can't, none of us can answer why God has allowed this to happen. But what we can say is we know that he does love his church 
And that I know that the person asking this question probably knows that. Like God loves his church. He loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us for, for our salvation. So we know that God loves us. We don't understand why sometimes he allows suffering to happen. But you can be assured that God is good and that he keeps his promises even when our teachers don't. Um, yeah. So we're going to continue this thread of false teachers and we're going to look at how do we protect ourselves against false teachers. And we've kind of touched on this already, um, but the question is how do we keep our preachers, small group leaders accountable to make sure we are not being taught wrong doctrine? Yeah, I think there's a few really good ways. I think one, I would encourage you on a Sunday morning to have the Bible open. But not a Sunday night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah, six fifteen. Just do whatever. No, uh, Bible open. Uh, yeah, Sunday, Sunday morning, and Sunday night. Because uh, otherwise, the preacher can say whatever he wants, you know, and you can't fact check him because you're not. You haven't got a Bible open. Mm. Uh, so on a Sunday, yeah, Bible's out and then track the track the text. Um, if he references another text, you know, flick it. Most of the time, they might up on the screen but uh so do that um and then when not on sunday monday to saturday just getting across the word yourself um so quiet times small group discussions i mean the cool thing about small groups at this church is you follow the sermon series so Mm. um you have a time either before the sermon or after the sermon to reflect on what the preacher said uh and so it's having that habit um so yeah i mean the really uh, a verse I've always loved is that Acts 17, 11, about the Bereans that tested everything that Paul said mm. uh, by the scriptures, you know. Mm. And if there's one preacher outside of Jesus that you were just going to trust verbatim what they said, you know, it would be Paul. But mm. no, the Bereans were noble uh, because they tested everything that Paul taught them. Uh, and so we, it doesn't matter who the teacher is, no matter what the reputation and what they're standing. Um, yeah, and like, and every preacher is going to make mistakes at the front. Like hopefully, and like be very unlikely to slip into heresy, but they're gonna, yeah, again, a sinner up front's gonna make an error up the front every now and then, and so you want to be able to lovingly go, hey, you said this, you said Moses was on the ark with all the animals, it was Noah, okay, <laughs> you know, so but you just want to be able to lovingly correct and challenge, so you need to know God's word as best you can, um, both privately and on and on a Sunday. Mm. Yeah, I'd I'd really just want to reiterate that for, um, yeah, bring your Bible. Uh, open it, uh, get get to know it. Um, uh, it's easy to fl- you know slip into the the, the iPhone Bible or mm. you know the, the what, whatever device. Uh, there is something about a physical Bible and getting to know it and and opening that uh, and uh, engage deeply. Um, uh, part of that might be taking notes. Uh, that's a great way to engage with God's Word. Um, for me, uh, like I'm a I have to do to remember uh, and writing is a doing thing for me. So if I don't write something down, I don't remember it. It just sort of goes in and out. Uh, so it's it's a – and it's a way to keep me on track because I'm often distracted, you know, thinking about this email or that conversation or whom I want to catch after church rather than engaging in God's word. And what, what's he actually saying here? Is he saying that? Is he not saying that? And question time I think has also been really helpful. Mm. It's one of the reasons I was keen to introduce it because – we, we need a mechanism as a church for us to have that accountability to ask questions and ask hard questions in a non-confrontational way where you can just text something in, mm. uh, which, you know, and I, I've, I've loved the way Kelly was really engaged. I mean, what have we got, 15, 16 questions mm. uh, from Sunday. 
Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I love the way, you know, well done for really engaging with this. Uh, it is a way to keep that accountability high. Yeah. Mm, definitely. But if you, you've got to know what the truth is so you can mm. spot the counterfeits. <laughs> yep. um, all right. So next question. There's a prophet coming to speak in Australia just down the road from our church next month. How are we to respond to these events that are happening in our own suburb if we believe that they are a false prophet? My understanding is they will be drawing a huge crowd in the venue chosen and there are lost people in our community who will be attending. These people are those we are trying to reach and teach the true Jesus. What can we do? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I don't know much or anything about <laughs> this particular event, to be honest. So, again, I would just... I mean, the fact that they're claiming to be a prophet or an apostle is, is a red flag. Um, but again, we want to we want to test their fruit. So let's test their teaching. Let's test their life, and let's see um, whether they're a true or false prophet. Uh, in terms of what we can do, I mean, if they turn out to be a false teacher, a false prophet, um, well, we just don't go and support it. Um, and the people around us in our lives that might cross over with this event, we we teach the truth. And um, and we pray and that the Holy Spirit will uh, discern between the message you teach them and the message that uh, this prophet uh, might be teaching, and that they'll be able to discern what is true. And so, I think that's mm. a battle we can do. Mm. Uh, I don't think. I mean, we could turn up with pickets and protest the event. I don't think that would do much. Uh, <laughs> it's not really my style. Yeah, <laughs> not really my style either. So I think, um, yeah. So if you if you've tested their 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 content and their life, and you decided that's a false false teacher, then stay away. And, um, and and then teach people the truth. Yeah, uh, and and look, uh, the the concern in here I think is is an, uh, a really admirable one in terms of uh, if I hear what they're saying is um, the the lost who we're trying to reach if if they go there and hear a wrong gospel, uh, there's there's really great damage that's going to be done uh, because they've misunderstood the basic tenets of the gospel, uh, and I think. In some ways, it brings perhaps a little more urgency back to ourselves to go, mm. uh, we want to help them see the true Jesus, the Jesus we find in the pages of the scripture that's revealed across, you know, um, across the Bible. Uh, that's, that's who we want them to, to meet. Uh, and you know, there's an urgency to it. If there's people who are teaching a false one and it's easy to draw a crowd, uh, you can do lots of things to draw a crowd. Uh, we're not necessarily interested in drawing a crowd here. We're interested in helping people meet Jesus. Um, and so there's an urgency, I think, that comes yeah. to go, that's, that's, that's on us. Let's, let's get our friends and let's be bold inviters and, uh, and courageous uh, to sort of overcome those, some of those fears that perhaps we face. Um, and, you know, not to be ashamed that we don't draw a crowd or have that spectacular supernatural mm. um, perhaps element to it. Yeah. Mm. But people get exposed to false ideologies every single day uh, on social media, yeah. on yeah. TV. Um, whether they be claiming to be Christian or not is different. But, yeah, so yeah, always be praying, always be urgent <clears throat> because everyone everyone in your life is getting exposed to, to false teaching, whether it be expressive individualism of our culture or prosperity gospel. or yeah, So everyone in our lives is getting exposed to false stuff and so we pray and we present the truth as clearly as we can whenever we get the opportunity to and we pray mm. for the Holy Spirit's work. Mm. Yeah, I know that's helpful. All right, next question. How do we relate or tackle times when we do either visit a church or chat to fellow Christians that speak or preach the prosperity gospel? For example, some Pentecostal churches. 
So this question actually follows on quite well from the one before, like if we actually find ourselves in the midst of this church or people who adhere to this this false gospel, what do we do? Yeah, it's such a hard one. The, the guy I said that spoke that amazingly well-presented sermon that was really bad theology, like so many people came up to me um, after the conference and went, how amazing was that? And it's kind of like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so he spoke, he did speak well, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do have concerns. And so again, yeah, it's, it's one of those things and, and yeah, it's just hard to know how hard to go on the spot. Like, do you go into a rampage and go, that was false and that was a disaster. Uh, Kirsten and I, we went to the conference together, so we're much more gentle by nature. So we went, oh yeah, look, he did speak well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the key takeaway from Jacob's life. But, you know, so I think there's, we've got a couple of concerns here, but he was a good presenter. You know, trying mm. to kind of, yeah, because I think people were just awed by what they saw. I don't think yeah. they were going, what an amazing message. Well, the people we were chatting to anyway, it was more just water speaker, like yeah. water presenter. Like, yeah. how good was that? And so affirming them and going, yeah, and it was a great, it was a great presentation. It really was, but the content wasn't great. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, in the smaller churches, you know, you have more access to the ministers, so you can actually reach out to them um, and say, hey, you said this, you know, my reflections of the scripture push it, I think, a different takeaway from the topic that you just spoke on and you can try and challenge them that way very graciously. So I think we always want to be gracious but strong, like strong in our convictions, but mm. gracious in the way we challenge the convictions of others. Because, yeah, the temptation mm. is you just um, go on a rampage and call out everything and call them heretics and false prophets. And that kind of makes people defensive and angry themselves. So I think be, be firm in your conviction, but gentle in the way you put it across. Yeah. Depends on the relationship you have with the person as well sometimes it might be appropriate to go on a bit of a rant sometimes it's not like you have to be discerning and figure out what the best thing is what would be some go-to spots in the bible to refute prosperity teaching if you were in a conversation with someone depends what uh aspect of the prosperity uh so often it comes across uh if you have enough faith uh, then these things will happen mm-hmm. um, because they, they look at Jesus and sort of go, he's a man of great faith and he was able to do these things. And so if you mm-hmm. had enough faith like Jesus did, uh, therefore you'll be able to um, you know, experience and do the sort of healings and the miraculous and the supernatural uh, that's he, that he's had all. You know, if you've got enough faith, you'll overcome uh, your infertility. Or, you know, those, those sorts of sort of uh, things uh, and, and there's – I think, you know, you can go to places um, uh, where you talk about, you know, the um, faith the size of a mustard seed. Mm. Uh, And it's all about what your faith is in, not necessarily the degrees of it. So you can go to places like Romans 14, uh, which talk about the strong and the weak and uh, to not put one another under temptation in that. Uh, the other aspect of the prosperity gospel uh, is around finances, uh, and you know the, you examine the breadth of scriptures to see you know give me neither poverty nor riches. Uh, so it's not the end goal of being a Christian is not wealth, um, and you know the end goal of being a Christian is is not to have the healthiest life. Uh, all those things will come to an end. Uh, the the end is 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 heaven. Um, and obedience here on earth. So 
I don't know if there's a, there's not necessarily a go to passage that goes here it is bang hit it with the uh, hit it with the punching glove and, mm-hmm. and it falls over. But I think when you examine what scripture does and understanding how it pieces together, I do think the the prosperity gospel does fall over. Yeah, I think mm. the implications of the prosperity gospel, if you look at some of the godliest people, uh, you'd say that Paul must have had something very wrong with his faith. His life was miserable. Life was mm. so hard. Um, never wealthy, never really successful. Actually, he was wealth, seemed like wealthy and successful whilst he was not a follower of Christ. <laughs> and yeah. then he became a an upside of down. Yeah, he lost it. And Peter's life, like all the apostles' lives, seemed to end in disaster, like end in martyrdom. Uh, Jesus was not a man of great, like I think people go, oh, well, he performed miracles, but his life was not one of prosperity. Like he was not poor. I mean, he was not rich. He was very poor. He mm. not a place to lay his head. And so that's just, it's it, yeah, the implications of uh, if you have enough faith, things will go really well in this life about the godliest. I mean, Job, um, well, Job does end up rich at the end, but goes through a lot in the process. Um, yeah, the implications are strange. And, and you know, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 warns against the love of money. And so to have mm. this theology that, you know, wants you to get more wealth. But well, I, I yeah. get I get the attractiveness of it. Oh, it's so I, I, it, it gets it gets my heart, mm. like when people are suffering, and uh, the uh, the pull of you'll be healed, uh, and you'll be okay, and, and you know, you'll be good now. There's a real pull to that that you go, oh, like, uh, and and I, you don't want to disregard the power of God to work in the today, and, and don't don't hear me saying that at all. Um, but that's not ultimately uh, our hope is not today. Mm. Our hope is not this earth. Uh, at some point, uh, no matter if we're healed, we're going to die. Uh, we can't live forever here and now. And so part of it for me is, um, you know, investing into the heavenly aspect, um, building up your treasures there, mm. um, investing that's where your life's going to be, that's where your hope is, uh, rather than the here and now. And that's what some of the prosperity gospel stuff just feels very now yeah um whereas i'm like i want it to be a bit later because i think that's where the scriptures put it yeah yeah john piper has a famous kind of uh, fiery passionate speech where he kind of goes the only thing that prosperity gospel gets wrong is timing Mm. everything that it promises will happen in the next life um and so it's getting a timing wrong. And, and there's passages like Romans 8, the whole creation is groaning, you know, believers and unbelievers, you know, waiting for the adoption of, as sons. So like, yeah, the picture of the world ever since Genesis 3, you know, the world is broken and the world is groaning. And through many trials and tribulations, we enter the kingdom. Yeah, that doesn't align with the prosperity gospel. Yeah. And the fallout practically, if you hold to a prosperity gospel and something goes wrong, um, is just utterly heartbreaking. Mm. Um, and can cause people to lose their faith altogether. So that's the fruit <laughs> um, mm. in when the real when real life hits. Okay, next question. We are going to clear the name of Paul David Tripp. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done to this man, Nathan? He had it coming. <laughs> no, 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 he, didn't. he, he really wrote... didn't. <laughs> He's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, and I've summarised a few questions yep. together. Nathan, can you clarify if Paul David Tripp is a trustworthy teacher or not? You shared about how he struggled. Did he end up making positive changes? And is he a biblical and good teacher to learn from? Yeah. Um, there are many problems with me. 
Do we want to go around the table? And <laughs> no, no, no. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got my list. Um, uh, one of the problems with me as a preacher is I do have a script, but I don't follow it right. at all, really, uh, except for the <laughs> r- broad brushstrokes guidelines, make sure I get the slides up in time. And um, Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, at 8.30 and 6.15, I cleared Paul Tripp's name and sort of went, he was a, you know, because I had the American guy came out and was bags, you know, preaching on sexual purity in the middle of an affair. Tim Keller was just always had a golden reputation. And then Paul Tripp was going to be this encouraging case of a guy who was heading down the wrong track. Uh, God prompted him, uh, I think, through his brother in a conference and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he completely turned it around. Mm. And now he's the guy that you send to ministers who are struggling to. So he was kind of supposed to be this, you know, this textbook bad case, textbook good case, and then there's this encouraging story of someone who was on the wrong path and, and turned it around. Uh, and so, yeah, I was quoting his book, uh, Dangerous Calling, because that was kind of him spelling out his story. So page 20 through 25 is kind of him being awful. And then uh, 26 onwards is him turning it around. Uh, and so, no, he was a, he was an encouraging case of someone who was on the wrong path and looked like, you know, could be a false teacher. And, and if the Holy Spirit hadn't inter- intervened, looked like he was on the path to be one. Mm. Uh, but God graciously, uh, through his brother, through a conference, um, uh, cut him to the heart and he changed. And, and now he's... He's wonderful. He is wonderful. But yes, 10.30, his name never got cleared. I just slandered him. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I actually sorry. think he'd probably forgive you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would. This version of Paul would. This yeah, version the of original Paul. on page 20 through 25 of Dangerous Calling, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I was I was manning the phone uh, and was yeah. just out in the foyer, yeah. so I didn't hear no. yeah. doing something else. And yeah. the, the phone just was going ding, yes. ding, ding, you yeah. know, like yeah. – um, what 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 do we, what do we think of Paul no, Tripp? What do we think of Paul Tripp? I'm like, what is yeah. Nathan saying? Yeah, <laughs> no. get in there. Yeah, no, I've got his New Morning Mercies, his devotional book. I've got his parenting book. I've got Dangerous Calling. Like, mm. he's excellent, mm. excellent, excellent. Um, <laughs> yes, and generally, if I as a general rule now, if I call, if I use someone's name, I won't name someone if I'm gonna shame them. <laughs> they will remain unnamed if I'm gonna shame them. So the fact that I was anyway. So that can be a general tip for next time. If I'm, if I'm willing to use their name, it's going to be a positive yep. case. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds fair. So more generally, is it unwise or unbiblical to read or listen to any teaching from someone who has made poor or ungodly choices? <sighs> yeah. That's a really interesting question. Like just, if there's an author yeah. out there that you know has yeah. fallen, do yeah. you still pick up their book and have a look or not? Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. I was – um. Because like Ravi Zacharias has got awesome apologetic arguments and so you can learn to defend the faith really well. Yep. But post his death, awful things have come out about him. Yes, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting and, and like and I love, um, yeah, and I love, anyway, there's other preachers that are really, really good speakers that are, yeah, controversial figures. So. I don't know. Part of me goes, to, you know, we are told in Thessalonians, test, test the spirits, take what is good, leave behind what is bad. Um, and so maybe, you know, Zacharias, do you take his really good apologetic arguments, but you don't copy his life at all? Mm. Then the, the, the pushback against that would be you could be supporting a ministry that is shady by buying their books. So, yeah, it's a, it's a hard call. Um, mm. But if in doubt, don't go against conscience. So yeah. if in doubt, go without in that case. Yep. Yeah. It, it, the question is, is it unwise or unbiblical? Uh, it, it's probably more bordering on the unwise mm. uh, than it is unbiblical. Like it's not a command there in scripture. 
that we need to obey that says you must not read or digest anything. There's a wisdom call about, you know, who we're supporting, what we're listening to, even if, you know, like the arguments on apologetics are great or someone's got a really super amazing insight into ministry but, um, you know, their, their life has taken a, a different path. You know, there's people who have written great books uh, who have now given up the faith altogether. What, what are we to do with them? Like I've still got books on my bookshelf, uh, you know, written by people who have, you know, disgraced and fallen out of ministry. Um, I don't pick them up often um, mm. uh, and they're not my go-to books on those mm. particular topics. But I, I haven't thrown them out. I haven't gone for a collective book burning or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but, yeah, there's there's probably a wisdom call about what we need to do and where we go and who we model and put before people to say, here's something great to read. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't feel like reading stuff that's written by yeah. people who have been disgraced. I, I don't know, get yeah. the ick, as the kids yeah. say. <laughs> so <laughs> there's so much content yeah. out there that, um, yeah, you can find yeah. you can find better stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's um, turn from false teachers and look at true and false disciples now. Mm. Um, so Judas came up in the sermon, yep. I guess. Um, yes. I must have missed that bit. I was listening. Um, is Judas in heaven or hell? Uh, hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a response. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely maybe. Maybe yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, no. He, I think so because uh, <laughs> one, we, we never see him repenting and two, and Jesus says of uh, the person who betrays him, it would have been better for them to have never been born, mm. which if you end up in heaven, I think it would have been better to have been born. Yeah. You, yeah. So uh, that would be, that'd be my case. Yep. Sounds fair. High distinction. All right. Um, (laughs) Next question. Um, Why do you think we find it easier to live with Jesus as Saviour but not as Lord? Yeah, I think Jesus as Saviour is is quite warm and fuzzy. It's quite delightful. Um, And he loves me and he died for me and it's great. And um, on the softest version of this, it doesn't necessarily have to impact my life. I've just got to believe that he died for my sins and and then I'm saved and, and I'm done. Uh, Jesus as Lord, uh, he then makes claims on your life and some of the claims and some of the commands in Scripture, you probably don't feel like all of us have commands in Scripture that are uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, and some of us, you know, like there's commands in the Bible you might not even like you because of your convictions about the Bible and God's Word, you, you know they're true and good, but your automatic reaction is like, ooh, teaches that? Like really? Um and so Jesus is Lord. He says, "No, you, you, you'll, you'll follow those bits of my word, even the hard bits." And so I think it's just a bit more confronting, uh, and Jesus' demands on your life become much more real if he, he moves beyond that uh, mm. savior, just a savior, to Lord of your life here and now. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. It's um, easy to be saved, not as easy to be obedient. Um, next question. Is the will of the Father mentioned in this passage? Um, So it says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um, So is the will of the Father mentioned in this passage a link to the verse in 1 John 3, 23, which says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Considering the books are from different authors with different phrasings, can this link be made or is Matthew referring to a different will of the Father? 
Yeah, I think there are lots of things in God's will. And so definitely one of the things in God's will for our life uh, is to uh, believe in his son. I think John 6.40 as well. This is the will of the Father, to believe in the one Mm. whom he has sent. So definitely a big part of it is that initial putting your faith in Jesus. Um, but then there's 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 to 20, where it's your will, his will for you to be sanctified and for you to avoid sexual immorality. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I think God's will is, is big enough. And I think in the context of Matthew 7, he's talking about obedience. Mm-hmm. So um, God's will is both. So what that 1 John, 1 John 3, 23, 100%, mm-hmm. God's will that you should believe in, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, it's also his will that you obey him and, and keep his commands. And so I think uh, God's will is, is big enough to include uh, many more things. It'd be interesting to do a word study of all the times where it, it says uh, what God's will is. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely that initial faith step and then there's ethical stuff that follows from it as well. It does come up in a few chapters later, Matthew 12, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Uh, I think the if I remember the context correctly, it's, you know, Jesus' brothers are outside, mm. wanted to come in. He's like, well, who, you know, these are the ones, the ones who actually do my word. You know, that's, I think, that obedience aspect coming back into it, uh, which is probably where Matthew's really focusing in on that doing aspect. Mm. Um, they're, they're the ones who are going to be part of my family and show themselves as people who believe. Yeah. Yeah, so we shouldn't be surprised that these things are consistent because it's all God's word yeah. and, yeah, I, I, interestingly in my commentary on 1 John, they link... 1 John 3.23 and Matthew 7.21. So whoever wrote this question, maybe you should consider writing a commentary because yeah. um, it's a good pickup. <laughs> um, all right, next question is um, a very serious question and something that I really relate to too. If I struggle with sin, I feel like a bad tree, like I'm walking the wide path. I'm scared Jesus will say he doesn't know me. How do I know or have confidence that I'm saved? Yeah, uh, this question is from 8.30, but it's, it's a good question. I think um, I want to say that the people I'm less worried about are the people who are worried about their sin. Yeah. <laughs> the people whose sin cut them to the heart, bothers them, uh, I'm less worried about than the person who goes, oh, well, Jesus forgives me. So, you know, I lied, who cares? Mm. Um, I'm sexually immoral, doesn't matter. You know, so the people who are uh, cut to the heart by the sin is probably a sign that um, God... God's spirits at work in them and convicting them. And so, yeah, and and again, uh, this is the same sermon. So, you know, the, of, of the Beatitudes, so the Beatitudes says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so mm. if you go, oh, I feel weak, I feel poor, I feel horrible spiritually, you're blessed. <laughs> Good job. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, there's those ethical commands um, and so we want to take them really seriously and yet, um, but yeah, no, it's good. It's good to be, I wish, I, and I think, I wish I was more cut to the heart and by sin sometimes, um, and took it more seriously. And so, you know, I'm, I mean, I you you're, you might be feeling sad, but I'm feeling encouraged that sin cuts <laughs> you to the heart, and I think that's going to lead. It's a good chance it's going to lead to repentance and um, and trust. And then again, the fact that Jesus just keeps you know forgives all of your sins. I'm hoping is a real motivator to love and serve mm. Him, not a mo- not a reason to relax and get, mm. uh, yeah live poorly. So, yeah, no, it's good. I think it's a really encouraging thing that uh, when, when someone's cut to the heart by their sin. Yeah, you sort of want to be a little cross-eyed in answering this question, you know, one eye out the front yard, one eye out the back, so to speak, because you want to duly remember 
uh, you are saved by nothing you do. Like, you know, it's that mm. grace works that Nath really sort of, you know, uh, splitting the difference, I think it was the Carson quote that yeah. you, you brought to us. You want to keep those two things in mind and you don't want to lose sight of one of them or both of them. And so you, you want to have that confidence to go, I'm saved. Like um, I'm saved because of what Jesus has done and I'm wrestling hard with obedience. And I think that is a – you want to keep that eye on out the front yard of going, I'm saved, and the eye out the back going, like how's my obedience going? Uh, and if you lose if you lose sight of one, and the problem is we're not necessarily naturally cross eyed. <laughs> we normally focus on one. We're normally looking out the front, going, "I'm saved." And you're like, "Oh, look at the backyard; it's a mess." And then you go and focus out the back, and you're thinking, "Man, I've got to cut the grass, got to pull the socks up, got to do the weeds," and you you forget what's happening in the front, and going, "I'm actually saved." by what Jesus has done, not by what I've done. So mm. it's it's that wrestle. And yeah. I don't know, like internally I sort of I feel like I go backwards and forwards uh, on those. Um, I don't know whether that's anyone else's experience. Yeah, definitely mine. Um, yeah. 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 I think, yeah, that Romans 7 passage with Paul, it's like if you feel wretched or you feel unworthy, like that's that's what a Christian is. Yeah, wretched and unworthy. And so, yeah, it's Paul that that's in Romans 7, he's upset. You know, he does what he doesn't want to do. He doesn't do what he does want to do. And he ends up with, what a wretched man am I? But thanks be to God, you know. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's a normal experience and even the greats of the faith feel that. So, yeah, you're yeah. not alone. Yeah. yeah. And, in fact, the struggle is evidence of the Spirit's work. So we can find assurance in that. But, yeah, we don't want to not heed Jesus' warning um, we want to continue to strive for obedience as we follow him. Yeah, so I hope that is helpful and gives you some assurance but not to slack off <laughs> as well as we try and walk that tightrope. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, that was our last question. Um, so what are we talking about next time? So we get to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so we're, uh, we've got two builders, we've got two houses We've got two foundations, one's wise, one's foolish. Uh, it, we, it comes to the crux. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard it. What are you going to do with it? Um, are you going to put it into practice uh, or are you just going to continue on? And so um, that's we're going to get to that sort of final crux, that final point uh, of where Jesus gets to. And uh, a bit of advanced warning for our um uh, for our listeners, that uh, I, I want to give us a chance to respond uh, to the whole Sermon on the Mount. And so I, I am going to give it an opportunity uh, for people to reflect and say, what have they been struck with from Jesus' words here on the Sermon on the Mount? It's not a time of confession or anything like that. It's just a what struck you, mm. uh, a chance for us to hear from one another uh, as we respond to God's word uh, to either encourage or just, you know, reflect together so i just want to give people advance warning that's we're going to give something a go uh in that open mic a little bit of open mic Mm -hmm. like it's not going to be for long um uh but we will give people an opportunity so um come prepared yeah sounds good like a giant bible study yeah (laughs) all right well thank you for joining us today and we hope to see you on sunday thanks for listening to this episode We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15pm. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.